1: Radio Tony.
2: Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN.
0: Good evening, America. Good morning, Australia. Today is a pre-recorded show due to my holidays and your public holiday. I have a truly amazing guest on the show today. Her name is Donna Lee Perfect. And before I introduce you to her, I want to give you uh, some information about my wonderful new show sponsors. So, firstly... Kerry Hort-Rowe is the brain behind brain thinking. Kerry is a business advocate with a passion for helping to create amazing work environments for staff and clients alike, and in turn, she helps businesses grow. She works well with all kinds of clients, from beauty salons and spas to accountants, artists building and manufacturing companies and she particularly enjoys interacting with customer service teams in the retail space to improve their performance and my wonderful second show sponsor is the delightful tracy tully tracy tully is a speaker mentor and author in mastering fear Building courage and resilience by unlocking unlock- the power of your voice. She shows you how to unlock your voice, amplify your presence, build courage and strengthen and resilience. One of the greatest fears people experience is public speaking. Many struggle every day with one on one communication, let alone in small groups or larger audiences. Poor communication in any business results in confusion, resistance and lack of trust. Conversation is learned and it's a practice that is critical in day-to-day business, especially the like, click, tag generation. Everyone has a voice which can be used to lift your profile, presence and your business profit. Tracy helps people to unlock their voice by building courage and strengthening resilience through motivation and mindset. She's having a little workshop coming up in Toowoomba, Australia on the 26th of October 2019. And during the breaks, I'm going to put up Tracy's wonderful details. And so That's it for me and the introduction. We're going to have a little break and then I'm going to introduce you to the amazing Donna Lee Perfect, who has a tremendously painful story of childhood domestic violence and trauma, Um, but she has turned that around and is a lifeline suicide prevention counsellor, an expert on resilience, Uh, curbing domestic violence and bullying in our community and she leads a wonderful program called dream guards tour of resilience perfect peace program and the dream guards ambassador program in hundreds of schools across australia so
1: over to a quick break and then we'll introduce the wonderful donna lee radio tony Bringing social consciousness, this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast Australia on W4WN.
2: Resilience resilience memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from australian author tony lontis available in paper ebook and audiobook formats resilience is the true life story of tony experiencing and surviving trauma abuse mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too read how hope and happiness triumph in her life available at amazon.com and all good online retailers
1: Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores.
3: All starts this morning. Oh, that's fine, Tony. Look, it's lovely to be here. Thank you very much.
0: I'm really delighted to have you on the show today and tomorrow during these pre-records. It just allows us to talk freely. And so I'd actually thought that we should start with your story. And just a little warning to our listeners. Donna speaks from a very vulnerable place and tells a very difficult story. And so... If you need or this triggers emotions in you, please seek out someone to help you with those. But it's important that we keep telling Donna's story. It's crucial to helping people recognise violence in our society and to help them heal. So
3: Donna, let's start with your story. Sure, Tony. Well, I guess uh, my rhetorical question is, have you ever lived with a murderer? I have, and I was uh, only seven years old. I, uh, I lived in a, in a home in Auckland, New Zealand, with, uh, in a normally normal family life, uh, until one morning I woke to the piercing screams of my mum. And uh, I jumped out of bed and tiptoed to my open bedroom door and I shared this room with my elder sister. And uh, as I stepped into um, the corridor, I heard my father's, you know, voice yell- yelling and bellowing down the down the uh, hallway, swearing and cursing. And uh, of course, I wondered what was going on. And as I stepped into the corridor, I saw a look on my mum's face as she ran past me that i'll never ever forget it was a look look of complete terror uh, as my father chased her down the corridor and the staircase with a knife my i scared. were you scared in that moment donna I was terrified, absolutely terrified. But I, I still was trying to, you know, I mean, you've you've woken up from sleep and, you know, seven years old, it was all a little bit too confusing and, and hard to process for a little brain like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I kind of followed after my father as fast as I could, uh, he chased her down the staircase. And as my mum reached for the handle of the sliding door, at the bottom of the staircase to try and escape, I witnessed my father drive the knife deep into her back. And uh, as she was uh, stumbling along the side path to the front of the house, uh, she collapsed to the ground. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was absolutely devastated. I, you know, I mean, even now, talking about it, you know, 40-odd years later, it's... It's, you know, it takes you back to that moment and, and you know, uh, it's just crowds of people, sirens kind of gathering around me as, um, you know, uh, around my mum's completely lifeless body. And, um, uh, you know, I was just absolutely traumatized. And, and then minutes later, I was witnessing my father driving off in the back of a police car. Wow. And- this was kind of, you know, uh, the start of a, a nightmare that went on for years and years and years. So within within minutes, um, it seemed like minutes, my, my elder brothers and my sister and my twin and I, we were gathered up and, and also put into the back of a police car and, and taken down to my cousin's house, which was only down the road on the same street. And As we sat in the lounge room there, just, you know, completely, as you can imagine, traumatised. I can't explain anything else other than, you know, trying to kind of process all of this. And and, uh, the the radio announced that there had been a murder in in our suburb and and that it was just the most surreal thing to, to listen to that and know that that was my mum. It was, it was surreal. It was like, wow, is this, this is, an, is this a dream? Is this a nightmare I'm going to wake up from? It, it was, I'll never forget that moment too. You know, it was, it was one of those moments. And so very quickly, a social worker came to the house and, and uh, we were shuffled up, up, we were separated. And for some time, I was separated from my twin brother and we were put into foster homes. Wow. And this uh, this was the beginning of another stage of trauma for me. Yeah. The the first foster home that I went to, uh, I was completely delirious i guess you could say uh, because i was in a in a completely traumatized state and and when i arrived i you know i, I imagine 7 years old move, moving into a house that you'd never seen before into a strange house living with strangers in in a traumatized state being separated from all of your siblings your entire family and witnessing uh, you know such a uh, act of violence toward your mum is, you know, and to arrive at this home, I, I, I must have been in a state of complete shock, and <clears throat> the the poor foster mother was, she was a Catholic single mum of two daughters, and she was actually very kind, but she was trying to obviously console me, and and I remember yes. my twin brother, like being very protective toward me, and so those first few. Days were extremely difficult for her and and myself. But over a period of time, I think we were staying in that house for about six months. <clears throat> it felt like quite the only kind of happy foster home I went to. And and she used to read stories to me in bed at night. And yeah. for a few moments, I was able to escape the reality of. The trauma that I was facing every single day, and into the storyline, and and that gave me some reprieve. It gave me, you know, a moment of peace. And to you know, right to today, I'll I'll never forget that. But that uh, sadly didn't last long, and I, and uh, before long the kind of uh, a familiar, you know, um, grey flannel suit and brown tie entered the room and it was the social worker again shuffling us to another foster home. And <clears throat> this seemed to be a, a pattern for, well, uh, continued for five years. So the second foster home we went to, the the father there was seemed to be the predominant figure I remember. I don't really remember a female figure at this home. Yeah. but. He was an alcoholic and he, my twin brother and I shared a room and he would lock the room at night when we went to bed. And I recall my sister coming to visit us one one kind of early evening, I guess, but we were already in our room, locked into our room. And I remember her knocking on the door. I could hear it from my bedroom and he answered the door and, and she said, I would like to see the twins. And he, said, he announced to her that... That the twins don't want to see you, they don't love you, they don't need oh. to see you anymore and close the door. And I remember just screaming from my room because of course, you know, I, I just was longing to see my older sister, who I looked up to, and she you know she was like my you know rock and everything. and and so this was part of the emotional abuse that started in this home. I recall another time he asked me to run a bath for one of the other foster children in the home. And I was only, I think I probably was about an eight, maybe not not even quite eight. And I had no idea, Tony, how to run a bath, to be honest. So I turned on the hot water tap and the little girl got in the bath and scalded herself. And, of course, that was the worst thing ever. So he he uh, raged toward me and started swearing and and yelling. And then he took me to his bedroom and he threw me on his bed and he pulled off his uh, belt off his pants, pulled down my pants and just started uh, pounding into me with his leather belt until I was bleeding. Oh, my God. And that was... That foster home. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, I don't know why we left that foster home. Thank God. Thank God we did. (laughs) I was actually thinking that that's
0: probably a blessing, really.
3: Blessing, absolutely. So whether the man was found out somehow, and because he was clearly, you know, not fit. Yes, unfit for that role and. Yes, yeah, so, so this kind of continued what we were put into. And, of course, during this time, while we're going from shifting from foster home to foster home, we're shifting from school to school. Yeah. And, of course, you know, children, when, you, when you're looking a little bit different, when you're acting a little bit different, yes. you're an easy target for bullies. Yes. And as soon as I'd make a friend at a school, I'd be moving to another school. And so not only was my circle of friends, you know, I just didn't have one. I didn't have any security or stability at school. Yeah. But I was being bullied because I didn't fit in, because I was different, because I was traumatized. Definitely. Definitely. And I wasn't getting any support whatsoever from the school system or or the social welfare system. And so this was not being, you know, I wasn't dealing with my emotions well. and So this was, you know, this was part of the trauma too, was being bullied in school. And that that became, uh, you know... It was incredibly devastating for me to go from being abused at home in foster care emotionally, physically, to then going to school and being picked on. And, and sometimes I was bashed as well in, in school. Oh. So- I just
0: want to reach out to that little girl and just hold her close.
3: What an ordeal for a child to go through, Donna. Yes, yeah, it's it certainly was very challenging, Tony. But you know, I, I, I it's incredible how a child yes. and I still am trying to understand this. You know, the the resilience that a yes. child can can innately have within them that yes. you can tap into on a daily basis and uh, and get through the day, get through the week, get through yeah. the month and the year and then be faced with more adversity and push through that too and you know and I did and you can, you know, <laughs> and and yes. so this is, you know, this is the, the kind of uh, the message that I, I try and uh, sharing my story. I try and inspire other people to understand that that is an innate within all of us. And we just need to believe it's there. We need to believe we can tap into it and uh, know that we can overcome any adversity in our lives. And so, you know, this this continued. And so, you know, uh, right up until the last foster home I was at when I was 12. And this was was kind of, you know, the icing on the top because I was in this foster home for, I think, about two and a half years. And it was a large... Home homestead on a huge acreage property, and they had about eleven rooms, and they had a lot of foster kids, including their own children in this mm-hmm. home. and they you know the, the 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 children, their own children, they they obviously you know were very, kind and compassionate toward, but when it came to me, for some reason the foster mum had something against me, and I don't know why or what it was, but for some reason she just didn't like me. And my my nan, my nan nana died during this time, and she was the only one kind of in my whole uh, grandparents sort of, um, you know, um, generation that was alive. I didn't know the rest of my grandparents. So she was, it, she, I had fond memories of her as a, you know, as a young child before my mum died, buying big bags of lollies for me and, you know, the things nans do that, you know, you, they're just, you know, they're there and they're, they're sweet souls. And, and so it was very sad for me to hear this news and to know that I couldn't go to the funeral or anything like oh. that. I just had to process that in, in this foster home by myself and, And that was really hard as well. Um, But I recall a a couple of things happening that were really significant in this foster home. One day, a parcel arrived to this foster home. And I remember asking the foster mother, just as an inquisitive young, you know, um, preteen, what's in the parcel, you know? And the foster mother turned to me, horrified at my question, and she said, how dare you hmm. ask what's in that parcel? You're a nosy little bitch. <gasps> you're going to go into the, into the kitchen and you're going to sit down on the table and with these notes, you are going to write on these notes 1,000 times, I am a nosy little bitch. <gasps> so that's what I had to do. And once I'd done that, she proceeded to stick these notes all over the walls in that kitchen uh, eating area where the entire family ate our breakfast, lunch and dinner. She left them up there for months so I became the target at home home with the foster children for, you know, um, uh, making fun of and and abuse for being the nosy little bitch in the home. Wow.
0: Um,
3: You know, it it's just absolutely blows me away how people can treat children like this you know and then there was a little a little a little baby arrived at the home and she was 6 months old i, I it must have been about 6 months old and her name was marma and she was a little yeah. maori girl mm-hmm. and the foster mother came to me with her and she said this is your baby And I had no idea how babies were made. Like, I just had no education about it, nothing. And so I believed her. I just believed her. And so she said, you'll have to wake up. You'll have to feed her. You'll have to change your nappies. And you'll have to bathe her and look after her. And it actually became a blessing to me because i connected with her and it became this beautiful kind of bond i had with marama that made me feel wanted made me feel needed made me feel loved and so you know it was just a beautiful time and yeah i kind of have no I have no real concept of the time. I think it was about three months, but I really don't know. Yeah. Um, she One day I returned home from school and I went to my bedroom and she was gone. And I went to the foster mother and I said, where's Marama? And she said, oh, she's gone. She's gone back to her family. And I just, I was just like, what? What do you mean she's gone back to her family? I thought I was her family. What? What do you mean? And so I had to adapt to my life once again, this time without marama. You know, so it it was just devastating, you know, to... to, And you were still only 12 at this stage? I was just turning 12. And when I was 12, the social worker came to the house And this was the most difficult decision I've ever had to make in my life. And as a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old should never have had to have made this kind of decision. The foster father came to my house and he said, um, Donna, you've got two choices. You can stay in foster care until you're 18, which to me was like, and just deal with whatever is use. I'd uh, copped already for six years, um, you know, until I'm 18. And the other choice was or you can return to your father who's been released from prison. (sighs) But the most difficult part of this was I had to return back to the home where he murdered my mum. I just don't
0: understand what the adults around you, what decision-making process was going through their minds. It's just
3: diabolical. Oh, it's totally diabolical, right? I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's so complete, abuse. It's, it's complete an child abuse, really. Adult <laughs> decision that no 12-year-olds should have to make. Mm. And so what did you decide? Well, I decided to go back to my father because it meant that I'd be reunited with my my yes. older brothers and my twin. And yes. You know, that was everything to me, being connected and being part of a family, no matter how dysfunctional it was, as opposed to being pillared and and shuffled from one home to another and feeling abandoned and feeling, you know, uh, never stable and never secure and never wanted and never needed. So I thought, well, at least this is a family. It's my family. And, you know, there was some familiarness even though it was traumatic familiarness mm-hmm. there was some familiarness in this home yeah and so that was another another nightmare like you know yeah. my father my father was a alcoholic he was schizophrenic and he was so unpredictable so you know and we already knew what he was capable of. Yeah. So here we are entering this home and uh, my t- my older brothers are, you know, teenagers and rebellious and going through all of the things normal teenagers are going through amplified because yeah. of their trauma. Yeah. And, you know, so they are testing the boundaries, t- they are testing the law, everything, you know. And so it was just incredible. Yeah. So for five years living with this unpredictable, alcoholic, schizophrenic murderer uh, was yes. just, you know, terrifying. I, I remember for the first probably year or so, I used to have this recurring nightmare that uh, – And it must have been because of you know entering this home that you see this going back to this house. There was no belongings left of my mum. There was no familiar furniture or anything because Uh during the time my father had been in prison, this house had been rented out. And so when we entered it again, it it was feel it was looking really tired and unloved and you know and kind of a little bit unfamiliar, but. But yeah. we, you know, if you can imagine for a moment, you're not only entering the home, you're entering the suburb, yeah. you're entering the neighborhood, you're entering yeah. the, your neighbors and everybody knowing that you're coming back and all yeah. of the stuff, you know, that's going on. And so I was having these nightmares recurring that my wallpaper was trying to suffocate me. Oh. Awesome unbelievable. this um, uh, The wallpaper was nothing special. It was just an embossed wallpaper. But it was like the, the, every little piece of the embossed wallpaper were people. And they were coming closer and closer and closer and closer to me until they were just, you know, co- totally suffocating me. And I'd wake up so delirious that I would be sweating, just completely drenched with, with wet, wet sweat. And I'd be delirious. And waking up and, and running to my father's room and stuff like that yeah. and you know that was that was went on for probably about a year uh-huh. and so during this time uh, my you know my um, I guess respite my, yeah. my brothers being older and being you know rebellious we we were uh, trying out drugs and and they, they had uh-huh. They had, uh, you know, access to marijuana. They were growing it, in fact, in my father's um, garden because he was an amazing horticulturalist. He came from a farm background and had incredible yes. gardening skills. And so he, they were growing marijuana in his garden. I don't even know if he was aware of that. He probably was. But, you know, from the age of about 13, I was taking marijuana quite regularly just to, yes. you know, help with my help trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes and escape, escape the reality for a while. And, of course, my my father, being an alcoholic, his way to justify his drinking, he would buy me alcohol. Oh. So he'd buy me bottles of sherry brandy and all this kind of stuff. And my friends thought that was amazing. Oh, my mm. gosh, you know, here we've got some alcohol, access to alcohol, we can have a drink. And <laughs> it was a I crazy. Bet they thought crazy, that was great. Crazy Crazy times. So I would, you know, in between, uh, and there would seem to be no curfew. I would have no curfew. I would, yeah. my father would get drunk and he'd be in bed fast asleep by seven or eight o'clock at night uh-huh. and I would just be out, you know, getting, getting stoned and, and and hanging out on the streets with my friends and then I would sneak back into the house and this, I would be, I was so terrified to sneak back into the house. We had a spiral staircase and I knew exactly which steps creaked, and uh-huh. I would avoid those steps. And so as I snuck up the stairs, you know, so quietly, so gently, and as I got to the top of the stairs, my father would cough. Oh. Just to let me know. He knew I was there. Oh, golly. So this was walking on eggshells like this, you know. He, my father slept with a knife next to his oh. bed every single night. Tuna. And, you know, he'd constantly threaten us with violence, so especially my brothers and their friends. Yeah. My father was pro-Nazi and he believed in the Aryan race and so any of our friends that had any Polynesian or Maori blood in them, he just yes. thought it was the worst thing possible. So he he didn't welcome them at all into the home or anywhere near the home and he would say some terrible things. He would yell out abuse and verbal uh oh, disgusting things to them and you know and and uh you know actually um you know violently uh, threaten them so, so we, we, we knew what he was capable of, Tony. And Absolutely. my brothers and I, we had a survival plan while we were living there. We all yeah. we all had to have our, like, muster stations in case of yes. an emergency. So I had to go next door because the next door neighbour was an ambulance officer and my brother yeah. and my two older brothers were going to take my father out if, if something violent happened. And we all had this state of kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah. Oh, Donna. So this went on. Tell, tell. This has an end point, doesn't it?
3: It does. So my uh, my father my father drank himself to death when I was seventeen. So he oh. he'd already had one major triple bypass surgery, and he was mm-hmm. advised by the, the, his doctors not to drink and and that kind of thing. But of course, because he he too had not dealt with his everything that happened in his life, yes. he he drunk himself to an emotional state where, you know, he, he could deal with his own emotions, I guess, by, yeah. by, by drowning in alcohol. And because he never, ever spoke to us about the event. Like, he, it was never brought up. And, you know, you can imagine, you would just not go there. I would not go there. Yeah. I would never have thought of talking to him about what happened to mum and why did you do it yeah. or because... Yeah. I was terrified of him. I didn't know whether, oh, you know, he would go I'm into sure. a flying rage. and <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just, can you imagine just living there for five years and never speaking about it, just pretending I, it never happened?
0: I can't imagine, Donna. Not in, it's just truly appalling.
3: And so, so, so he drunk himself to death. He was on the operating theatre having a second triple bypass operation and he died on that um, operating table. And, you know, mixed emotions for yes. me. I I was, in part, part, I was really devastated because I think it was the loss of what could have been and the father that I wished I could have had and yes. the hope and all that kind of thing. And then there was a relief, you know, a, a huge relief that finally yeah. he's gone and I have this freedom. So it was kind of like waking up from a nightmare. Yeah and what happened then what happened to all of you then well my my sister was already flatting and my older brothers we, we we all kind of went our own way so i i yes. just got i left i'd left school um because I hadn't done very well at school. So I just got a really, you know, deadbeat sort of job. I think it was at Benina Sewing Centre initially, and I actually got uh-huh. the sack from that job because um, I didn't turn up to work one night. I decided to go to the movies instead, and they mm-hmm. rang my home and found out that I'd gone to the movies, and the next day I got the sack for that job, which was a blessing really. But So I took some really deadbeat jobs and finally uh-huh. kind of realised I was living with a, a friend, um, and I finally realised, well, I'm responsible for my life. Uh, No one is going to look after me. I have no parents, no grandparents. I'm on my own here. I'm 17. I've got to really turn this around or I'm going down a dark path. And so it was kind of, you know. pretty amazing for
0: a 17-year-old to come to that conclusion.
3: Yeah, it was. I think it was kind of, you know, probably a moment of, of, uh, you know, alcohol and, yeah. And um, marijuana and yeah. one uh, dark night I reached out to Lifeline actually and and I spoke to a counsellor on Lifeline and I kind of just offloaded <laughs> everything that had happened Thank in my life. goodness. And the person on the phone, uh, poor thing, she was just absolutely – gobsmacked I'm I'm sure she just couldn't keep up with my story and she said look I I really would recommend you come in and get some face-to-face counselling and and so and I never even I'd never even thought of it like I never it'd never been put to me and no kind of counselling of any sort had been offered to me so it was a new idea and I thought well okay it might be a good thing for me and so uh, this started a, a, a process for me of working through my trauma over a period of, period of about three, three years or more. Um, Which and I went is, to, mm. to, to start doing that at such a young age, is it would have been a blessing for you, was it, Donna? Oh, it was such a blessing. I mean, really, so such a gift to yes. to somehow come to this, you know, because it totally transformed my life. It completely turned my life around. And so, you know, going to hypnotherapists, I I remember one particular session, you know, sitting in my chair with a hypnotherapist and, you know, going back to my child and and kind of understanding uh, not only understanding mum, understanding... Where she was at in her life and understanding her position of, um, you know, the choices she had. And yes, she, she was didn't have choices really. Well, she was incredibly um, vulnerable. She was in a position, she, she was having shock treatment for a mental oh. breakdown, and she was in a very vulnerable position and she was in a very controlling relationship with my father. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, you know, uh, she went away and had some shock treatment and, and you know, I mean, that's another story on its own, Tony. For, you know, I mean, yeah. a, incredible. Uh, you can, we can digress and go anywhere with this. But, um, but yes, yeah, so this was, you know, turning back to Lifeline and, and this timer, this treatment was yeah. just, you know, an incredible, uh, you know, turning point for me really in my life. Are and, you the only one of the kids that
0: you know of that, got such great and timely help?
3: Yes, I believe so at that time in my life, yes. And obviously that's what made the difference. Yes, yes, I I believe it did. And, you know, I mean, during this time too, I, uh, you know, having sort of just job after job that wasn't wasn't satisfying to me, I decided I had to go back to school and sit my school certificate because that... I had to get that qualification in order to get a, an apprenticeship. And yeah. I had a background, my family had a background in dressmaking on my mum's side. And so I had this passion for fashion. And, and so I thought, well, it'd be good to do an a apprentice, apprenticeship in, in clothing. And, and I needed school certificate marks for that. So I went back yes. and did evening classes. And I got my school certificate, and that enabled me to apply for a, a, an adult apprenticeship in clothing and textiles at um, in Auckland, a large clothing manufacturer. Yeah. And I uh, also went to evening classes and set my trade certificate. Now, I was doing very poorly at school. So that was Uh hence why I dropped out when I was 16. Of course, I mean, I went to 13 schools, 13 foster homes, so to do well at school would have been an absolute miracle. Uh, So I never believed in myself, and and it was a real struggle to pass school certificates. So when I went and and started this apprenticeship and started Trade Certificate, I had three years ahead of me of study, and I just had this... I had this determination that I don't know where it came from, but I was so determined that no yeah. matter what, I was going to pass and 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 um, you know get this uh, this qualification at the end. And so I studied and really really hard over these three years. And at the end of the three years, I gained the top trade certificate marks in New Zealand. Well and I done! Preachance of the year, Golden Shears Award. And I was standing on the stage at the town hall with the Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand um, getting my award. And it was just the most profound moment. Like, honestly, I Absolutely. just, you know, I couldn't believe that I had achieved this. And, you know, I, I didn't believe in myself. I had no self-esteem. I had no yes. self-worth. Yeah. And to think that I could achieve something like this, Was still, I was pinching myself, trying to believe it, you know, and and it was just incredible. It's truly a testament to your uh,
0: resilience and your ability to cope. And the couple, like that phone call to Lifeline, Mm. and the help that they gave you, completely changed your life and
3: and set you on a on a better path. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the other thing that changed with me with Lifeline is that after that uh, time of face to face counselling, they approached me and said, "Donna, look, you've worked through all this stuff so amazingly. We would, we would love you to be a volunteer on the phones helping others. Would you be prepared to do the Lifeline?" course which is a six month course and in fact it is really well recognized and and it's got a you know in the in the counseling um, industry it's very well recognized and so I did that along with suicide prevention training and I I volunteered on the lines and in Sydney for two years and that was Incredible experience for me, you know, receiving suicide yeah. calls and and you know uh, people that were lonely, people that were you know children that were ringing in that had been yeah. abused and and so that was my way of sort of I think it was I recognised a part of me of serving that I really um, got a lot of happiness from. Yes, and this sort of started this kind of process of serving. Um, down the track, and yeah. you know, so so passing this, uh, you know, qualification was incredible, and. And so, uh, you know, within no time I was being offered a sales rep position in Auckland and I couldn't believe it going from a factory and, and to now being on the road, having a company car and driving around Auckland selling fabrics and everything and, and being on a salary. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And they put me into a, a company. Yeah, it was incredible. Marketing and sales management courses and at Auckland University. And so I got my diploma and... And then they said to me, Well, um, you know, what we'd like to offer you, Donna, is an opportunity to set up our Australian operation in Australia, in Sydney, and run it for us. And I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. I mean, uh, you know, um, I was, I I bought a house in Auckland, and, you know, I thought, wow, this is me leaving leaving everything that's familiar my family, everything, my. With friends and selling my home and moving to another country. And I remember all of my friends and people in the industry just saying to me, oh, you're crazy, you know, you're going to go to Australia, you're going to go to a market that's reducing, that's moving offshore to China, and you think you're going to um, get some market share from a, a, an old industry where there's so much loyalty, and you're a Kiwi, and I see Aussie, Aussies don't like Kiwis, and and you know that kind of thing, and gain gain some you know do well there. And I said, well, I'm going to give it a go. I'm just going yeah. to go, you know. Yeah. And, um, I did, and you know it was it was an amazing experience, you know, um, building this business from nothing uh, to a million dollars turnover. Well done. What a
0: shining light you are, Donna.
3: It was you know it was really it built my self-esteem so much though. it really that was the next thing I was going to ask you,
0: how were you feeling within yourself by the time you got to this stage? it
3: It was really, it was really encouraging and it was helping me. I mean, I think there was still always this kind of doubt in my mind about my self worth, you know, having yes. been abandoned and having gone through, you know, so much trauma and everything. And and you know, the interesting thing is we often blame ourselves as children yes. for these experiences. Yes. And and you know, I I believe today that these experiences um, happen for me and not because yes. of them. Yeah. So they're a gift and uh, when I look at them now, you know, I just think, wow, I'm so blessed to have yes. gone through all this and now be able to share my story in the hope that it inspires other people to know of that course. they, the adversity they're facing, they can overcome too. And there's something about having
0: walked that track and having been in those places and the knowing and understanding. If you... It's not that people who haven't been in dark times can't understand show empathy, but if you have, you truly come from a place of it's going to be okay. You're going to get there, but this is what you need to do to heal that trauma. Because Donna, you and I both know that trauma leaves marks on our brains. And if we don't seek out that healing... And repair things like self esteem, um, and and have self compassion. Life is not good until you heal those things, is it?
3: That's exactly right. You're you're so right. And and of course, there's a flip side to these these kind of this kind of adversity. You can you can rise above it, or you can fall to victim mentality. Yes. And of course, you know, uh, so many people do. And 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 that's a very sad place to be because it's, it's, it's not fulfilling and it's not serving to anybody. And, you know, um, it's, it's very self, self deprecating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you, that's how you come to be in Australia was the, the Sydney project, let us call it that. Um, And what started to happen in your life from then? so was was coming to Australia and Sydney a good move for you, Donnelly?
3: Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, the opportunities were incredible, and i I met my first husband and on the actually on the harbour in Sydney. yeah, we were crewing on a on a yacht, and and he was a Kiwi as well. so we met on on a yacht and and uh, we married a couple of years later, and I had my beautiful children. yeah. Um, and you know i mean what a blessing uh, my my son and daughter and and you know that they're now ad- almost adults my daughter's almost 17 and and my son's 20
1: mm-hmm. and
3: you know, they're just the most amazing children, well, adults, you know, they're incredible kids. I'm so proud of them. And, you know, they too have faced adversity through, you know, their marriage, our marriage breakup and so forth, and have risen above it and, and are very balanced um, children that, you know, are giving back in, in their own ways too. So I'm very proud yeah. of them. But, yeah. um, um my marriage broke up and and we actually moved to the gold coast and then shortly after that my marriage broke up and and after a period of probably about a year or so of, of or maybe a little bit longer of being single one of my friends uh, suggested i went on to rsvp which is yeah. a dating site here in yeah. australia yeah and I um, hesitantly, I kind of agreed, and, and she helped me set up my profile, and my profile name was Bollywood Babe, because I was, <laughs> having, a, I was having a Bollywood party, and I thought, ah, what, that's a great name. Let's call it Bollywood Babe, and uh, one of my favorites. Hey, folks, Donna, yeah. before
0: we start the story of how you met your current husband, over to you, Rebel.
2: Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners live from the Gold Coast, Australia, on W4WN.
0: So Donna, let's talk
3: about Bollywood Babe. Yes, well, (laughs) this is a whole new chapter in my life, Tony. So I I, uh, was encouraged by a friend to get on an online dating site called RSVP. And I was a little bit kind of hesitant about that, but... I had been single for a while and I thought, well, this could be a way to meet somebody that's authentic and, and get to know them on a deeper level first, you know, before you kind of meet at a bar and that kind of thing. So uh, Bollywood Babe was actually my profile name because I'd just recently had a Bollywood party. I see. <laughs> Yeah, so it was actually like a housewarming party and I decided to have have it with a Bollywood theme. And so, of course, all my friends and family came in Bollywood outfits and I had a Bollywood outfit uh, because I'd actually taken a few... Ballet dancing lessons, and so oh, wow. I, I had a few kind of uh, you know uh, costumes and stuff, and I loved it. So I dressed up in Bollywood, and I had a photo taken at the party, and it turned out really nice. And so I thought, well, I'm going to use that photo or as one of my shots on on this profile, and I'm going to call myself Bollywood Babe. <laughs> so very yeah,
0: <laughs> and so yeah. you. You went on RSVP, and was your husband to be one of the first people you met, or are you like I had a similar story? The first couple that I met were
3: not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what an experience it is, isn't it, Tony? I mean, yes. you know, people that put up their photos and they're thirty years, you know, earlier, and when you actually meet them in person and have a coffee, it's like, oh wow, I don't didn't even recognise you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you look nothing like, you know, the person I was expecting to see. And so that's quite a, a funny kind of journey. And I, I wonder what's going on in those people's heads to do that. But anyway, uh, so, oh, yeah, so it became quite entertaining. But, you know, <laughs> I think, uh, no, I had a few a few dates lined up, actually. And uh, pe- men that I'd been speaking to for quite a while on, online and getting a connection with. So when when Michael's profile came up, it was yeah. the funny one. <laughs> and I, one of the things that really, really uh, attracts me is a sense of humour. Yes. I think it's, it's just so attractive in, in anyone, in any people. So, and actually, as a child, humor I feel. Sorry,
0: uh, Donna, humour is very uh, healing, isn't it?
3: It is very healing. Absolutely, yeah. it actually releases, you know, oxytocin and, and serotonin and dopamine in our system, which actually improves our mental health. So, laughter is one of the natural ways that we can actually yes. improve. Mental health. There's so many natural ways. In fact, I, I, you know, but so this this funny one was kind of interesting and and took took my attention. So, I, you know, I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. I had a I had a crush on Alan Alder growing up in Mesh, uh-huh. and I just yes. loved him. Uh, you know, I was kind of obsessed with them really, and so you know, this was this was interesting. So. He, but he he reached out to me, and he sent me a kiss. That's how I got to see his profile. Uh-huh. And I always left the men to, to pay for the kisses. You know, you have to pay for kisses to actually communicate. A kiss is like an email on RSVP. And so... He reached out to me and, and wanted to get to know me. So I thought, oh, this is intriguing. I'm going to, you know, a, a communicate with this guy. And we were communicating for a, num- a number of weeks, and, and, and it was kind of a little bit kind of on and off. And I realized later that it was because he was traveling. But he oh. he then emailed me and he said, I have three a uh, three-day window in between Almost three months of back to back cruising, and I would like to meet you. And it was three days over a week over a weekend that I had my children, and I had a week on, week off policy with my ex husband. And I had this policy; I didn't date, uh, didn't date on the weeks I had my children. That was just no way. This is time with my kids, and I don't go out dating. And I mentioned yes. that to my girlfriend, and she kind of piked up and said, no way, you are going to meet this guy. There's something about this guy that is just telling me you have to meet him and I'm going to come over, I'm going to look after the kids and you are going out on a date to meet this guy. There's this little window and you've got to do it. So that's what she did. She came over, looked after the kids and I met Michael down at uh, the Burley Beach and the funny thing is he'd said to me, Tony, look out for the man with the moustache and I thought. (laughs) Man with a mustache? You don't even have a m- mustache. What are you talking <laughs> about? And I thought this must be some quirky kind of thing. He's, you know, he's being funny. And so when I came down to the beach, I was walking along the promenade and he was sitting on a park bench and I didn't even realize he was sitting there. I just was on my march along the, because uh, I'm quite a fast paced walker and I was on this yeah. march along yeah. the promenade and he'd spotted me way before I saw him. And he kind of, Shadow walked beside me, and it was something that he used to do in in one of his acts, which I'll talk yeah. about in a minute. So he shadow walked beside me, and I kind of took a double take and you know, oh, looked back at him, and he had this he had these glasses with a moustache attached to them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was just, it looked the most ridiculous thing. I, went, I did a double take and I looked again, <laughs> who are you? And Because I, I didn't recognize him with these glasses on. And then he must have realized with my, uh, you know, the way I looked at him and he quickly pulled them off. He took them off. So, oh God, I must look like a dork. So, he took them off and and he said, hey, I'm Michael. And I said, oh, hi. And he goes, oh. And the next, next words he said was, you're a pretty little thing. Oh. And I'll never forget those words. It's kind of, it's it's something that I'll never forget. It was almost like a lyric out of a Keith Urban song to me. <laughs> and it's not something people say every day. And I just no. thought, well, it's something that Keith Urban would sing, you know. And so anyway, we, we went to a tapper's bar just down the, from the promenade and and we sat there, and we just got chatting, and and it was just so easy, you know. The communication was just so easy. And then he spoke. He asked me, hey, what, are your into, "What do you have kids?" And what you've got two children? And yeah. I said, "Yeah." And I said, "Hamish, he loves. He's into motorbikes. He's just obsessed about motorbikes, and he started motocross and everything. And my daughter Jess, she loves horses. And that's the only time I mentioned their name. And then at the end yeah. of the date, at uh, the end of the date, he. Uh, You know, he walked me back to my car, kissed me on the cheek. It was all very gentlemanly and said, look, I'd like to see you again on Sunday. Now, this was Friday night. And I said, no way. There's no way this is going to happen. Like, you know, I've only just met you. I've got my kids and I'm not, you know, I'm not bringing my kids to meet you. You know, I'm only just getting to know you. No, 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 no. It's going to be this big picnic. I'm going to bring my (laughs) friends. You bring your friends. We're going to meet at the bongos by the beach and we're just going to have a picnic. It's going to be lots of fun. And I thought, wow, that kind kind of sounds interesting, you know, and <laughs> I was really picking up that this guy, you know, f- with, the, with what he'd been sharing with me, yes. that he was actually the warm-up crowd guy, Mad Mike and Rodney in the Police Academy stunt show uh, oh. Oh. At, Movie World, at Warner Brothers Movie World on the Gold Coast for 16 years. So he was famous for his role as the warm-up crowd guy that did all the quirky stuff like chasing people with a feather um, and they were tickled on the shoulder and then he'd shadow walk with them and hold their hands and they'd think it was their husband or wife and then they'd turn and go, oh, my gosh, that's, you know, you're a stranger. And, uh, you know, he'd walk on his hands and then he'd do balloon artistry and, and juggling and all this kind of thing But as the crowd was coming in for the show. And so mm-hmm. – And he'd do the huge Mexican wave. And so people would come back to the Police Academy stunt show to see him, not necessarily the show, because, you know, he just had a way about him. And it was all mime. There was no talking. His entire warm-up show was all mime. And then he'd jump into the stunt show and he'd do the stunts. So... You know, um, very well known, and he shared this with me at this date, and I went, oh well, I'm sorry, I never went to the show, so uh, you know, he might be famous, but it's not it means nothing not to, me. to me. Not to me. That deflated him a lot. <laughs> anyway, so I decided, okay, yes, all right, this could work. We'll do the picnic. And so I rang all my friends on the Saturday and said, come on, you know, I want you to come down and let's have fun on Sunday and I want to get your feedback on this guy. And so we all met down there, my kids as well, and we were just, you know, eating and talking and, you know, probably about 10 of us. And then all of a sudden in the distance came the sea of about 15 people uh, across the reserve And every single one of them had glasses with mustaches on. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So it looked, the park was full of families and people everywhere, you know. Sunday was just packed. And you know this sea, this parade of people, and it was—it just looked like the most ridiculously hilarious thing you've ever seen. And I just kept double taking, going, "Oh my god, that's them!" Oh no, and you know, and my and my kids and my friends around, going, "What are they going to think?" What? Are, oh my gosh, you know, what a statement he made. And yes. so as he was coming closer, he had this huge goofy on a motorbike that it was a balloon. <laughs> That he created himself. And on the other hand, he had a a horse, a balloon horse. And he went straight to my son, Hamish, and he said, Hamish, I've heard you're into into motorbikes. This is for you. And Jess, I've heard that you love horses. This is for you. And what I was most impressed with was that he remembered their names. Yeah. That sealed the deal for me. Yeah. And, you know. It was just amazing. So we had an incredible afternoon, all of his friends, my friends, and we just had a party in the park, and we got on so well. And then the next day he was getting on a cruise ship because he entertains. He's an international comedian, and he entertains on cruise ships, and he had two and a half months booked back-to-back. Yeah, and he said, I've yeah. got to take you out for coffee before I get on the cruise, I've got to take you out for coffee so we met the next morning, had coffee and, you know, he said, look, I'm going to communicate with you on, so I want to talk to you and talk. And I said, cool, you know, but I've got these li- these dates lined up, I was really transparent and honest, I said, I've got yeah. other people that I've been communicating with too and, but within, you know the period of this two months, he spent something like a thousand dollars on Skype calls to me <laughs> on the cruise ship <laughs> and We were just, you know, getting to know each other better over this two months. And, you know, I I just wasn't even interested in anyone else. So this kind of uh, developed and he came back. We went to Woodford Folk Festival as soon as he got off the cruise over Christmas and we spent three days at the Woodford Folk Festival together, had the most amazing three days. And just, you know, he gave me the keys to his penthouse suite where he was living in Labrador and said, go and help oh. yourself. Go and spend some time there. Just chill out and enjoy yourself. And so I spent yeah. two or three weeks there um, in between having my kids and it was yeah. just incredible. So then Advent this was part of the flourishing relationship and, and amazing, you know. So um, but at the end of this three-week, this communicating, he said to me, I said, what's your name? And he said, Michael. And he said, what's your name? And I said, Donna. And he said, okay. And what's your last name? And I said, it's perfect. And he said, no way. And I said, yes, my last name's perfect. And he said, do you believe in vision boards? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, I'll tell you about a vision board I've created over a year ago, and I believe and everything about it, he said, I had on my vision board. I was going to meet the perfect woman, and she was going to be five foot two. She was going to be a Kiwi. Uh, she's going to be fit and healthy. She'd like, you know, occasionally to have a drink, and she's a party, social kind of person. But um, also, you know, is, is spiritual and and uh, and and the perfect woman. And I've just met her. Isn't that amazing? Talk about vision boards and putting it out to the universe. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> oh, please. It's just incredible, you know. And so, within a you know a period of months, we, he moved in with me, and and you know him and the kids are just you know they just get on so well. And and then uh, one day I saw his pol- old police academy stancho uniform yes. in the in the wardrobe, and yes. he was starting to do. PG shows on the Carnival Spirit. So he was not just doing adults only comedy, he was starting to do um, uh, uh, PG shows which incorporated all the balloon artistry and the juggling and everything that he did in the Police Academy stunt show and it was just going off on the ships. And so I saw this uniform and I said, what is this? And he said, that's my Police Academy show uniform. I said, wow, that is so cool. I said, you know what? I've got an idea. I just finished becoming a personal trainer and um, I was passionate about curbing childhood obesity. It's a major problem worldwide and children now being born with more um, genetically with more fat cells it's a very sad situation and my my kind of dream was to train children and get them fit and and know about healthy eating and all that kind of thing and so I said wow, that uniform has to come out again and come alive. I said, you know, maybe we should do a show together. You do all your amazing balloon artistry, your juggling, and it would be a kid's show. And I could talk about healthy eating and exercise. And he said, we could call it the Dream Guards, Guarding wow. Children's Dreams. And I yeah. thought, wow, that's kind of a cool idea, cool name. And he said, "Yeah, we've got to teach kids about believing in themselves and uh, their imagination." And I said, "You're right. You know, it's all about that." And. So our first our first show we did it in Oshkia and I put down an agility ladder and I had this workout idea thinking I'm going to get all the kids to do this workout this this routine on the agility ladder. Well, there were 70 kids and within a few minutes I realised logistically this was just a nightmare because they're all backing up on each other and it just wasn't flowing the way I'd <laughs> visualised. And I thought that's not going to work. We've got to come up with something else. And uh, then. My, Michael said to me, so tell me, you know, share a bit more about yourself with me, you know. And so I thought I'm going to open up and share my story. And I hadn't shared many, I hadn't told many people this. And the reason why I hadn't told many people this is because whenever I did, I was really kind of shocked with their reaction. Their reaction to my story kind of was taking me back to a place I didn't really want to be in. and and you know I was kind of quite comfortable with telling my story but it was the reaction from people that kind of shook me a bit you know so it made me kind of a little hesitant to share it and You know, so he said, share share your story with me. And I shared it, and he was blown away. He was so blown away. He was like, no way, I can't believe you have been through this. You're so vibrant. You're so, you know, know, energetic and happy and charismatic, and I can't believe you have been through this stuff. He said, baby, you need to share the story on the stage. You need to share the story in our Dream Guard show. Kids need to know that they can overcome any challenge, and you are the epitome of that. You know, you are going to teach these kids that here you are in your rainbow socks, in your Dream Guard costume, because part of my costume is rainbow socks, you know. Yes. And, you know, going through all of this, and here you are flourishing, and you are a demonstration of that, you know, rising above resi- um, adversity, and you are resilience, you know, and you've got so much gold to teach these kids, and I went, wow, okay, i have never thought of it, never, and Then I was reading some books about bullying and I said, "And you know, I've experienced bullying and I think I can teach kids from my experience. Yes. And so I went into a meditation and I had this intention I was going to come up with some sort of acronym around bullying and to teach kids about, you know, giving them some tools. And so... I went into this meditation, and when I rose from this meditation, my peace tools were born. And it's the universal sign for stop—you know, hand up high in the air, and stop. It's not okay to bully. And these peace tools just came to me. And and so, um, you know, the, and so the first letter was P, and it and it stands for protect yourself and be powerful. And by standing tall with your shoulders back and your head held high, it's statistically proven that you are less likely to be bullied or abused because you're showing yourself to be comf- uh, confident. And then yes. the E in piece is escape the situation. Always oh. trust your instincts. Walk away, run away, online turn off your device and never allow anyone to abuse you. And then the A stands for armor. It's about using your most powerful tool, your imagination, to build a powerful armor around your body so other people's opinions don't matter in your world. Yes. And what I say is the lion Never loses sleep over the opinions of sheep. So be the lion. And then C is creating strong friendships in your community of like-minded people that show you compassion and kindness and have your back. And the last E in peace is express your emotions. Reach out for the help and support you need if you're being bullied or abused. And be the upstander in your community and help and high-five someone in need. And remember that you are not alone. And I shared this with him. And he went, oh, my God, this is incredible. (laughs) This is gold. This is going to be the anchor of everything we do. So then I thought, hey, I'm going to do a workout to these peace tools. So I incorporated an exercise to every letter. So for P, we have star jumps about protecting yourself and putting your shoulders back and the air die. So we do Mm -hmm. star jumps. And then E, escape the situation we're running on the spot. And A, for armor, we're building a powerful armor. We're doing lunges and we're spreading Uh our arms out. So we're we're building this powerful armor around our body and creating strong friendships. We run around and we high-five peace each other. And Uh so we're high-fiving and and connecting with each other in the show. So the children are doing this. You know, we're all running around and high-fiving each other. And then the last one is really fun, express your emotions. We do an air guitar audition. Uh Aha. So for 30 seconds, all the kids have to get up and show us their fav- their best ever air guitar. So they're mm-hmm. going to pump it out and be rock stars. And we put the music on. And, and then after the 30 seconds, we've chosen five people to get up on the stage. And we create a balloon guitar. Michael and I create a balloon guitar. Now, they've got no idea what we're making on the stage. This right. funny kind of object is just transforming. And then yeah. all of a sudden, there you go. There's a guitar. And then we can't. We bring three others out that we've already made in advance, and give the whole band five of them up on the stage. have got s- guitars, and then we put "Born uh, Born to Be Wild" on, and we are rocking it out with these balloon guitars. And it's just the most amazing energy. Oh, it's just- I can just feel it. Oh. And so part of this peace tools, when I talk about the peace tools on the stage, I get five kids up and I go through each peace tool and we have these amazing balloon characters that Michael created. So the P, protect yourself and be powerful as a dragon. So the kid that's standing for P gets a dragon on his head and he's standing back with his shoulders up and the E for escape the situation, he gets a Spider-Man. And so the Spider Man's on his head and uh, Spider Man can escape any situation. Yeah. A is armour and we, we give the, uh, the 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 person that's armour, we have a sword and then he gets a shield. Yes. And so he's all armoured up. The sea creates strong friendships as a dog. It's our peace puppy. Oh. And so the, it's a massive dog. And so the girl gets a peace puppy on her head. And it's about this This is your best friend of all. And yes. and this peace puppy is going to have your back always. And yes. then the last one is express your emotions. And it's two beautiful smiley face balloons and a love heart and a rose. And these two smiley balloons are expressing their love for each other with this love heart and rose. And oh. these kids keep these balloons, and so it's anchoring the message of peace through the the through the characters. Then we do the exercise, and then the the final thing we do is a peace rap. We've, I wrote I wrote a rap and another meditation. I wrote a peace, rap. and I rose from this meditation. It was so funny. My son was fifteen, and I said, Hamish, I've written a rap, and he goes, Oh my. <laughs> God, Mum, really? Oh, please, you know. I can I imagine. Said, if just, just listen to it. Just listen to it, Hamish. And he said, oh, if I have to, you know. So I said, "I told him this peace rap," and he goes, oh, my God, Mum, that's actually really good. And I thought, if my 15-year-old son's telling me this is good, it's okay, right? So that's become part of our show, our Dream Guard show in schools across Australia. At the end of our show, we finish with the peace wrap. Wow, wow, what And so a these kids are transformed. I mean, we yes. have kids coming up at the end crying, hugging me. I mean, I share my story on the stage, but not to the extent. It's obviously yes. age-appropriate, yes. Um, and, but it's uplifting. And kids come up and say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but look at you, and I love your rainbow socks. And, and uh, principals and teachers are coming up hugging us and crying. Yes. This is the this is the um, you know kind of effect we're having on people,
0: and it's such an amazing program and such a powerful thing to do for the children of Australia. So oh. you've been travelling all over Australia doing this, Donna. Yes.
3: Well, we're just heading down to Wollongong in a couple of weeks. So we're yep. heading back to Oak Flats, which is a high school, and we're doing four keynotes to the high school students. So we do keynote presentations as well in yes. the corporate sector and also in, in high schools about resilience, rise with yes. resilience. And then we have um, internet safety. We have conflict resolution and social media. And we talk about the digital footprint that kids are leaving and they don't realise, yes. you know, the impact it's having on their their careers and, and their lives moving forward. Um, so it's all real and in the teen shows I share my story, really real and raw and they get the whole story because teenagers need to hear it. They and do. They, We've had kids, Tony, uh, teenage girls and boys reach out to us on social media sharing that they were suicidal. They were suicidal. When we, we came into their school, they were having suicidal thoughts. And I get goosebumps right now talking about it and that by me sharing my story and, and our inspirational messages had turned their lives around. And one girl said, you knock some sense into my world. You know, yeah. I mean, this is the impact. I mean, you can that if you have if you saved one life, you are winning. You know, this Definitely. is success to me in life. If I've saved somebody's life, I that's success to me. And yeah. uh, sharing another story, just very quickly about a, another girl. Um, yes, with and this is the whole start of the global gratitude chain. Uh, yeah. I had a friend one night, late at night, from a family that uh, friends that we know, and the father rang me at eleven thirty one night, absolutely distraught. His his fourteen year old girl had been being bullied in year nine relentlessly for nine months, and she was suicidal. She was completely. Um, you know, just know. lacking in all interest in life and, you know, just down and out. And she, he said, what can we do? What can we do to, you know, turn this around? And I said, I'm going to come to your house in the morning. I'm going to share spend some time with you and her and the family and I'm going to just uh, do everything I can to help. And so I came round. I bought the book From Bully to Brilliant, which is a friend of ours, uh, Karen Clark's book and it's the most phenomenal book. It's part of our resource of our program, Dream Guards and the Perfect Peace Program. And uh, I bought that book. I bought some printouts, laminated, that she could put on her her mirror affirmations, yes. positive affirmations about not worrying about other people's opinions. And yeah. when you wake up in the morning, you look at these, you read them out to yourself, and you tell yourself that you love yourself. And um, now I'm going to share my story with you. And I shared my story with her, and she was the whole family was completely and you know in tears. And within three weeks of doing this, she was volunteering at one of our community events, a Dream Guards Showcase event. And on this event, I wanted to have a couple of activity tables. One of the activity tables I wanted was people to write down on a piece of paper what they're grateful for in their lives. and. Going to create this little chain and and my this little this girl this 14 year old girl was on this activity table she offered wow. to volunteer at our event and she was on this activity table and this was the start of the global gratitude chain movement and wow. this has just been a phenomenal phenomenal experience so I only just four months ago, I saw this uh, this girl, now 17 almost, flourishing on the stage, dancing, performing in her school play. And it's just the most beautiful thing to see. Wow. Wow. So, so this so- global attitude chain has just yes. you know, been created from this. It's just, and it's the most phenomenal. A global movement. Now I am cre- I'm receiving links, gratitude links from all over the world—from Brazil to Germany to America, to Ireland, to Scotland, to uh, New Zealand, all across Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong. You know, I, I have links from everywhere. Profound gratitude links of people that have are grateful—they've escaped the Bosnian war and survived. You know, people that are grateful that they have survived suicide attempts and a little four-year-old boy saying that he was grateful that for his robot dinosaur. <laughs> you know, it's just beautiful. The energy in this chain is lifting the vibrational energy of our world, I have no doubt. And of course, gratitude is just such another beautiful, natural way that we can improve our mental health. Definitely. And for our listeners,
0: Donna, the gratitude chain is simply a 6cm by 21cm piece of paper and people just write on that little piece of paper what they're grateful for and they send it to you where you laminate it and connect it to the rest of the chain and it's forming this huge Chain of colored gratitude sentiments from all yep. across the world. You've and done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> I know this stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty passionate about uh, gratitude myself, and uh, practicing a little bit of gratitude is good for everyone. Um,
3: and and I receive your gratitude link too, Tony. Thank you. <laughs>
0: It was a pleasure doing that for you. So while we're on the gratitude chain, can you read out for our
3: listeners where to send their links to? Yes, of course. So please send it to Donna Lee with a hyphen, L-E-I-G-H, perfect, at P.O. Box 70, Varsity Lakes, Queensland, 4227 Australia. And what we're doing with this gratitude chain is we have applied for a Guinness World Record. That is the longest gratitude chain in the world, connecting the world through a mindful moment of gratitude. And the big vision is that we are taking this gratitude chain on the Ellen DeGeneres Show in 2020. Now, I'm back in Vegas in March in 2020 because I'm speaking at a three-day conference on anti-slavery. I've just been uh, speaking on on the stage at a huge International Women's Empowerment Conference in Las Vegas where I got an amazing response. I took the gratitude chain with me uh, speaking on the stage in Vegas and I've been asked to come back for a, another conference and speak there. And I will be bringing the gratitude chain links with me. And I guess I'll have to create the chain over there because it's far too long. So what <laughs> we, we need is five football fields, Tony, and we're at yes. two and a half. We're halfway there. And oh, wow. the deadline is, uh, well, I've put in the deadline at 10th of December. So yes. we've got a couple of months to get these links. And we're getting schools coming on board now. So we've got the local school here, Varsity College. 3,000 students are creating a gratitude link. Isn't that beautiful? So we've got businesses, we're getting community, and it's just, you know, my local cafe here where I'm actually doing my book launch is, also has the gratitude chain in there. And every day people are writing what they're grateful for when they go and get their coffee.
0: And you have partners that are helping you with this across the world, don't you, Donna?
3: I do, A Gratitude Chain Angels. So the Gratitude Chain Angels are volunteers that are reaching out in their local community and they're going to their schools, they're going to cafes, they're going to shops and everything, and on trains, on buses, <laughs> and they've got... They're they're armed with their gratitude links and and, and pencil cases and all sorts of things, and they've got a poster with them. So I've got posters I can provide and send out to people um, via email and they are taking these posters and these links with them and connecting with people in their community over gratitude, which is beautiful because in their own local communities, they're, they're connecting, and which is, I really believe, the future of communities connectedness. And the more we connect with people, the more we are, you know, happier and the yes. more we can reach out to each other in times of need. And uh, this is human connection. We need to come back to human connection
0: we do and i think that we've stepped quite away from human connection and we've become very solo or siloed in our lives and uh yes this gratitude chain is about linking people with gratitude it's such a a simple concept but such a powerful one so if you're listening today i uh Donna has a website, um, and can you read the website out for us? Oh, sorry, it's a yeah. Facebook page, isn't it?
3: Yes, so we've got a, a Facebook page for the Global Gratitude Chain, and it is the Global Gratitude Chain. So if you get on there, we've also got an Instagram page, which is uh, uh, which is Global Gratitude Chain, so it's yes. without the And then also you can get on my website, which is all the Ws, Donna hyphen, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, perfect.com. And, you know, all the information's there. So, um, you know, happy to send out posters to anyone via email. And if anybody knows Alan DeGeneres, well, please reach out to me because – we need to get this, you know, vibrational energy of the universe happening. And I see this is a vision. I see this gratitude chain flowing from the car park into the studio and draping around the audience. Um, so it's connecting the audience as it flows up onto the stage to Ellen DeGeneres. So that's the vision, connecting the world through gratitude.
0: So that is one of the things that you're currently working on. Um, But before we run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about
3: your current project, which is your children's books. Yes, yes. So that's super exciting, actually. These books, The Adventures of Jessie and Rocky Rockstar, are about my, my daughter, Jessie, yes. and our amazing rescue dog, Rocky Rockstar. And um, these are beautiful, just everyday stories about their adventures, but it's it's leaving children and adults with a takeaway message. So it's Rocky Rockstar teaching uh, Jessie about everyday life and about compassion and about yes. kindness and about yes. treating her and people with respect and so there's a beautiful takeaway message and it's just everyday life and in fact Michael and I and my son are in the in in the first story puppy rescue so the first two stories are out uh, puppy rescue and, and tiger on pre-sale now with the book launch coming up on the 25th of October and yeah, these books were just amazing how they all came about because when I was yes. in foster care as a child I uh, I had a really bad experience in the 13 foster homes but bar the first one, which was a lovely foster mother that used to read children's stories to me in bed at night. And these stories enabled me to escape the reality of my trauma for a little while and into the story. And it just gave me this respite, this, this moment of peace. And um, it had a profound impact on me, really. So moving forward, my husband put a challenge to me to write a, to write a book. And I said, okay wow, I'm going to write children's books. For some reason, children's books were the first thing I needed to yes. do. And it must have been within me. It must have been something that was channeled for me to do from my own experience. And so uh, these children's books about my daughter and our rescue puppy came to me. And they and it's just an amazing synergy because I uh, got some money from compensation for all the uh, social welfare abuse that I copped and foster homes. Yes. And I put that money aside, and I wanted that money to make a significant impact on children's lives moving forward. And so yeah. I've used this money, all of it, to publish these two books. And I'm now supporting Paradise Kids, which is a local charity here, which runs grief and loss programs for children. And so, you know, this beautiful synergy, because Jess actually did their program when my first marriage broke up, when she was four and years she old. Was, yes. And it was just amazing. It was so helpful for her. And she still has the teddy today sitting by her bedside table. And um, she talks about that. She's almost 17. And... um it had a profound impact on her so i am supporting paradise kids and every every book that's sold in the puppy rescue and tiger series i am donating a percentage to this grief and loss program for children and so it's just a beautiful synergy that it all mar- it all comes back you know the circle yes. of life comes back to to you know i wish i had this kind of program when i was 7 and i Definitely. was going to trauma that I was going through so now I can help other kids and I really believe it's about children and parents and grandparents and caregivers stopping and having that mindful moment and reading to their children again and getting off the devices. I think that society has perhaps lost that
0: uh, old time bedtime story uh, habit that I know and I know Donna, you too read to your children, I read to my children, but it seems to have not passed down to current generations who seem to not be reading to their children as much as, as we did. And it's a powerful thing to do
3: with and for your children, isn't it, Donna? It is indeed. It really is. And my children actually have really fond memories of being read to. In fact, when I was doing this challenge, I said, what was your favorite? I did a challenge online and I, I said, what's your favorite, you know, children's story? And they said, they yeah. both said, we're going on a bear hunt. And I thought, yes, <laughs> I love that story. And so I've actually also started a YouTube channel of reading famous stories with Rocky Rockstar. So Rocky Rockstar, our rescue puppy, sits on the couch with me, Tony, and yes. I read famous stories on YouTube. And so the kids in schools are listening to this YouTube channel now, and we actually just recently went to a, a school, and all the kids, we took Rocky Rockstar, and all the kids went, Rocky Rockstar! They recognized oh, him on the YouTube channel. <laughs> it was fantastic. so Fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. So if our
0: listeners want to tap into your YouTube channel, do they
3: just search for you or do they search for Rocky Rockstar? Well, you know what I'd really love them to go to? is our Dream Guards free app. Now, this is a ah, live yes. Okay, so it's free. And we have created this with a community collaboration. And there's 12 life-saving support services on there. So there's Lifeline, there's Kids Helpline, there's Headspace. There's a DV, Domestic Violence Hotline. There are uh, uh, Rosies, and if you want to feed and, and, and you need to, you know, have shelter or anything like that, we've got Paradise Kids on there. We It's a phenomenal uh, free app. And on there we also have meditations and visualizations that Michael and I have narrated ourselves. Oh, Would, wow. I, Native American flute playing of Walter Smith. He volunteered his time. He's, an, he's a shaman and he plays yeah. the most credible Native American flute. And that's playing in the background of these meditations. So it's time for people to chill out. It's time for people to relax and de-stress, maybe before an exam, maybe before a job interview or an important yeah. business meeting. And mm-hmm. that three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute meditations that just get you in a nice space where you can relax and, and be Really, really centered and prepared for the day, and so we've put that on there. And I've also got the Rocky Rockstar reading children's books with Rocky Rockstar, and oh. that's also on the app, so they can they can and- get on there that way. Let's tell our listeners what
0: that app's called and it's not just for children, correct? It's for children oh, no, and it's adults? it's
3: not just for children it's for adults, uh, definitely for adults and there's a lot of stuff in there there's some fun videos, uh, the peace tools are in there, we've, Michael and I have yes. done videos for children on each letter of the peace tools so we've done a two minute video um, explaining the peace tools and then there's uh, also some tips for parents and schools and everything on there so it's, it's got so much value, um, you know, I, I often forget. And it's free. And, and it's free. It's free. Yeah. So I, I really encourage if, if you may not have, uh, you know, any issues with mental health in your family or your f- direct kind of circle, but you never know when you're having that conversation with somebody over a coffee and they're feeling yeah. anxious, they're feeling depressed, they're feeling um, suicidal. Um, To be able to share this app on your phone, what a beautiful gift to your community or your loved ones to be able to say, well, I've got a resource here and I want to share this with you and get on there, have a look at all these amazing websites, download some information on these amazing life-saving support services. Listen to a meditation. Get your kids um, and sit in front of the this uh, amazing YouTube channel and watch, listen to these beautiful stories that Donna's reading with her rescue dog. You yes. know, so there's a lot of beautiful value. So all it's called is the Dream Guards, and I can so give you, you the link, you. and you could put it into this. You know, you could send it to the all the viewers, and we've had something like we've had a huge amount of downloads, and people are loving like
0: that. They- if they go to the app store and type in Dream Guards D R E A M G U A R D S, your yes. app will come up. And just put the in front of it. The ah, Dream Guard. The Dream Guard. So that's T-H-E D-R-E-A-M G-U-A-R-D-S. So that's yes. That's, That's the it. app that Donna's been talking about, with all those amazing things in it. So there's meditations, there's videos, there's links for help and
3: assistance. Um, what else, Donna? Uh, what else is on the app? Yes. Um, well, we've got all you know, obviously, all the stuff for schools and corporate. So we oh, do a lot and of corporate keynotes, and so there's information there on our keynotes. And um, yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, there's a so much powerful, stuff. Powerful big app that would be helpful to have on your phone for
0: anyone, yourself, family, kids, grandkids, everyone.
3: Yeah, we've also got links to some of the uh, amazing uh, we we believe, you know, it's all about kind of uh, brain power and that kind of thing so we've got some links to some of the amazing work that Joe Dispenza and um, people are doing on, on brain development and NLP and and uh, that kind of thing so you know uh, and children's activities as well uh so that really get kids kind of active and and um you know off off kind of um you know their, i guess off games off off, off games you know, and off games devices that are and, not yeah, social media to.
0: platforms yeah 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 yeah
3: In, into more kind of educational stuff
0: yeah yeah wow donna you There's
3: have... We do a lot of international speaking, too, uh, stages all around the world, so a lot of inspirational speaking. And, uh, you know, I share my story. I share the the peace tools. I share the the global gratitude chain. And, you know, so that, that, that's an area that I am absolutely loving is, is, is yes. speaking. So, before we run out of time, Donna, I just
0: because we have um, so many wonderful American listeners, can you tell us the name of the conference in Las Vegas in March that you're going to and speaking at, in case any of our American listeners would like to hear you at a conference?
3: Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's the International Anti Slavery Commission, and it's yes. uh, the it's the um, symposium. So it's going to be, I believe, a two day conference, and yes. there will be a gala ball and awards evening. And it's going to be held at the uh, it's going to be held at the Stratosphere. So the theatre hall at the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino, which is Stratosphere. At, yes. yes. Stratosphere Hotel, so in Las Vegas. Vegas. Isn't that a a a great name, Stratosphere? Well, it's the tallest. I believe it's the tallest building in Vegas, and it's the revolving restaurant. It's got all the, you know, those crazy um, kind of um, roller coasters that shoot off the top of the building, and it's famous. That's the one. Really, really famous, and and in fact, uh, Michael. I believe Michael Jackson's tribute show plays every single day of the year in this in this oh, place. Oh, so it's It's very well known. So we're going to the top here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
0: I just had a vision then of a roller coaster with Donna in
3: the front and the gratitude train flying chain.
0: behind. It's
3: flowing, yeah, off the building, <laughs> flowing off the tower. I don't know yes. about this. I know that Michael will definitely be getting on that roller coaster, but because Michael is also coming and he's emceeing, so oh. uh, I, I'm the keynote speaker and Michael's emceeing, and and you know, I mean, boy, you know, modern day slavery—we've got to stop this too. Uh, absolutely, I was
0: just going to bring this back to that powerful concept of the symposium, um, as well, uh, that modern-day slavery does exist and it is a problem and we don't talk about it enough and this is a whole symposium um, about that subject and, oh gosh, what a stage for you to present on, Donna. You must be uh,
3: excited about that. I'm so excited, really, really excited and and really, you know, so uh, honoured really to be uh, the keynote for such an important conference and you know uh, the one of the the the, the top kind of uh, the top award is the medal of freedom i mean wow you wow. know what a beautiful title for that award yeah. so yeah. it's incredible so uh, Colleen so kelly so if people
0: if people uh, were to search um, the uh, symposium in Las Vegas, they would be able to find out more information about that conference. I believe
3: so, them. yes. The International yeah. Anti-Slavery Commission is the, yeah. is the website. International that they International Slavery go on. Yeah. Commission. Yes. Yeah. The International okay. Anti- Anti-Slavery
0: Commission. Anti-Slavery. Anti-Slavery. Okay. So we are unfortunately almost out of time, and I just wanted to take this next few moments to Thank you for your time and to just encourage you in the amazing work that you're doing, Donna. You're bringing so much to the world after having suffered so much. You're giving back so much to the children and and adults of this world by all your different initiatives and work. And I just wanted to encourage you on your travels and with the work and you know that you have a platform here on radio tony anytime you need to promote or speak about something just give me a call and and let me know and i will uh, pop you onto the show in our schedule so that you can talk to our listeners and before we run out of time. What big things besides the symposium do you have planned in 2020? And besides Ellen, G- the Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> show, because I'm now including that in your plans for
3: 2020. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, the big plan is that Michael and I are going to be uh, – the the big picture is we, Michael's book is coming out. He's put it to mm-hmm. the publisher. It's going to be a life-changing book. I have no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And we will be creating – Workshops, we will be create, creating retreats where we are able to spend, you know, two, three days with families yes. and sharing all of our tools and our, you know, our stories, our experiences, our inspirational messages yes. on a deeper level and meditations, everything. So it, that's exciting for us. We that's, that's the big picture for us moving forward is to have a deeper connection with people. Oh, Donna, look – Thank you so
0: much for coming on radio, Tony, today. And we are out of time. Um, I appreciate you taking your time to speak to me today it's quite early in the morning in australia and when this airs on on halloween holiday in the u.s um, i'm sure we'll have some wonderful feedback so everyone without any ado i we have to go i have to let donna go um thank you so much donna lee and i'll
2: talk to you again soon
3: absolutely and peace out guys (laughs)
1: Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony.
2: Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery.
1: Radio Tony. A platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience Memoir of a Broken Little Girl Discovering a Woman of Strength and Beauty. radio radio to radio Tony, radio Tony. Radio Tony. available now on amazon.com and in all good bookstores We're the rebel, yeah. Radio Tony back next Thursday from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live from the Gold Coast Australia. Mom.